brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. This is AutoLine After Hours with John McElroy, Episode 43 for Thursday, February 18, 2010. From rat rods to hot rods. Watch AutoLine After Hours live at AutoLineDetroit.tv every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern or 2400 hours GMT. You can subscribe to this podcast for free. Try searching for AutoLine After Hours at the iTunes Store. Here we are, Thursday night, AutoLine After Hours, with Mr. Auto Extremist Peter DeLorenzo here as always. Buongiorno, Gianni. (laughs) (laughs) And the man with the facts and figures at his fingertips, David Welch. David, great having you here, too. Great to be here, John. Many thanks. Yeah, and we'll give a a pitch to to Business Week, too, so everybody knows that. And to AutoExtremist.com for that. And, uh, you know, let's dive into the... Oh, what what I should mention before I I say that, we're also going to have... Bob Larravee from Autorama joining us a little bit later in the program, too. But we got to get to the news. I thought we had done everything that we could possibly do regarding Toyota last week when Jason Vines was here. But, man, they're still in the news, Peter. What's with this company? Well, what did we say? You know, we said, you know, they can't have one more recall, not even for a cup holder. And here they're investigating the Corolla steering. And that's, I mean, Corolla and Camry, I mean, they're like the cornerstones. I don't think the Prius recall was done when we were here last week. No, it wasn't. You're right. It's, and it's not just that it's high-volume vehicles. It's safety-related stuff like steering and brakes and accelerator pedals. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not that the Sirius satellite radio isn't working in their cars. It's, it's, it's heavy stuff. And, you know... Akio Toyota has now said he is, you know, he's going to speak through an interpreter. And, and like I told you earlier, two-thirds of the country will finally find out that Toyota is a Japanese car company. Right. I thought he wasn't going to come. No, he, he just, just announced. Just a couple hours ago. Yeah. Oh, really? The news broke that he is. Which and- I thought, you know, unless he appears before Rockefeller, who's an... The, and the Senate, Jay Rockefeller is an Rockefeller, old the, the Senate, Rockefeller right. family and the Toyota families have a long relationship. So if he appears there, it would be better. But it's just going to be a tee-off session on that. But what, what, I think it's a mistake. Yeah. I mean, if he's going to speak through an interpreter, you know, this is, first of all, I don't know if you have, Peter, but I know you've had interviews with Japanese executives through an interpreter. And I've always left these things feeling that they were either hiding behind the language or the interpreter to not really answer my questions directly, because they never do. And if Congress even, if they feel like that in the first five minutes, it's going to be the theatrics and vaudeville and grandstanding is going to get worse than you can imagine. Oh, it's going to be horrible. But, you know, Jason, I thought, had a really good uh, insight as to how they should do it. Uh, His whole thing was you, you bring in Akio Toyota and you bring in the guy that they're probably going to have there. Uh, Anaba. Uh, Yoshibia uh, Anaba. And you have Akio make some opening statement yeah. in English, apologize for, you know, my English isn't good. And that's why you have Anaba-san here to answer all the questions. But I'm here to tell you, we're going to fix everything, blah, 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 all in English. Then he sits More back and shuts up and lets Anaba do everything from there. That's how it happens? Great. And, and that's what, that was Jason's suggestion. I thought it was Anaba a good one. is the guy to do this. Yeah. He's a fluent speaker of English. He's like an ambassador. Yeah, he's, he got his MBA at, at Northwestern's Kellogg School. He's been, he's had jobs in Germany and the U.S. He's a very global international executive. Akio's been, you know, been reared mostly in Japan. If he's had, if he's had any assignments outside of Japan, China. He was in China. He's in China. Um, but he, you know, Inaba knows the U.S. and the regulatory scene and the government. He knows the operations here in terms of sales and how they funnel recall information. And he knows the plants because he runs the whole enchilada. He is the guy. And he's got 
He's got a pretty dynamic personality. And it, he's a very charming man. You know what, what? What's his background? His jobs have been. He's a sales guy. He's the guy you want up there. Yeah. Plus, you know, and, and you know the thing is, if it goes bad, it wasn't the top executive of the corporation getting hammered. I, I just, you know, it, it, the guy isn't Jim Lentz either. That he's too far down the chain. Inaba's the guy. Inaba's the guy. Yeah, Jim Lentz, even though he's an American. Uh, no one's going to believe you. he's the decision maker. They're all going to say, you know, where's, where's the cha- top Japanese executive that's going to straighten this out? So it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. That's well, exactly how they should I, handle I, it. I think they've handled it very badly because at first it was, uh, you know, Akio was saying, nope, not going to testify. And then when he was pressured, and then that got all reported. No, he's not. And then he said, well, if they asked me, then, and then that all got reported. And then he said, no, no, I'm not going to do it. And now he's saying, yes, I am going to do it. So there's four times, four different days at the top of the headlines, just prolonging the crisis for Toyota. This company is just not, either in Toyota City or in California, they were just not prepared for this sort of thing. They don't have the people with the skill set to deal with this. It keeps getting worse. It's okay. I understand you're not ready. You never saw this coming. But since this broke, we've been on this for, what, now, three weeks straight, yeah. maybe a month straight, and that it just purpose, keeps getting they, worse. They have crisis management PR people who don't even take your phone calls. I mean, I was talking to Mike <laughs> Citric. Now, people talk about <laughs> Citric, who's a Los Angeles-based crisis PR guy. Um, and, you know, some people criticize him because he, he's basically, you know, he's sort of the defense attorney that everybody loves to hate in, in the PR world. But... You know, I was talking to him about this, and he said, you know, what does it say when the crisis PR firm doesn't return Business Week's phone call? And, you know, and, and, and I don't need my shoes shined by these people, but, a, you know, <laughs> type screw off in quick send. I mean, <laughs> let me know that, that I'm calling the right place. I mean, what kind, of, what kind of advice are they getting from the crisis PR firm is what I want. Well, you know, it can't be good because they haven't even been consistent. Jeff Gilbert, you know, our colleague from WWJ, made a great point. He says, I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning because they start early. He says, at 5 o'clock in the morning, CBS News is calling me saying, hey, here's all the stuff that broke in Japan. What can you get uh, stuff on it for us? And he says, all the people I can talk to are asleep in bed in California. He says, they have no East Coast or East Eastern time zone well, they do. spokesperson. Sure they do. Now? No, they've, they've, Toyota's had a, a New York PR office for a long time. Well, they had a Detroit PR office, too. Well, um, yeah, but I, I think do. all the... They've got people in the Eastern time zone. Um, actually, all their business, corporate, and financial PR people are in New York. And but, they should be right, able to answer But I don't think questions. they've been handling anything in this ki- uh, crisis. Uh, I don't think they have either, but they, they, they should be able to. And somebody in New York ought to be up to speed. Actually, I, I take that back. Someone in New York has answered some of my questions on that stuff, at least as far as the, the advertising and when they had that uh, commitment ad. Like when they ran, I had some questions on that, and someone in New York got back to me on it. So, I, now, you know, do they know stuff about recalls and some of the mechanics and, and technical stuff? You know, I don't know, but there, there's something there. But, I, you know, overall, their, their American PR staff, I think, has just been overwhelmed by this. I don't think it's big enough, and I don't think they've got the skill set. I don't think they're calling the shots. Uh, no, no, that's another big part of it, too. Yeah, they're not calling the shots. But they, they don't have this. I mean, these people have basically been promoting cars for the last 20 years because every, it was all good news. So when does it end, or does it? I mean, I don't not how the congressional hearing starts. You know, I got hammered by a bunch of people saying, oh, you're overstating the case about Toyota. You know, they're just going to breeze right through this. No, they're not. It's over. Like we said, they used to be up here just to cut above everyone else. Now they've been, now that the halo's gone, and they're going to be in this stuff for a long time. Interestingly, uh, driving around this afternoon, I heard Art Spinella on the radio, you know, from CNW Marketing, who we've had on this we show, should, typed we in. Should, we should have him on again. <laughs> and uh, Art was saying, uh, up until, like, just today, all the hardcore Toyota loyalists who were standing behind the company through thick and thin, uh, he says, now they're starting to see the support for the company crater. And I think that's very telling. Yeah, and like David the said. The fourth or fifth recall was the last straw for those people? Well, you know, look how they did the recall, too. First they say, we're thinking about recalling the Corolla. So that's headlines. 
And now I know what's the next step is going to be. Yes, we are recalling. Right. It's being. I, why, why don't you just come out and say we're going to recall it, and then boom, you know, it, it's it's over and done with, rather than drag out the whole thing. Yeah, they've they've botched it from the start. So, getting back to if Akio <laughs> does what you said, what Jason said that he should do, it might be okay. But if Akio gets dragged into the nitty-gritty, it's going to be a, just another disaster. The thing is, I, I don't think, I mean, Jason's idea is a good one, but can Akio, I mean, can he avoid the questions? People up in the Congress are going to, especially those who want to make a name for themselves. And Well, we saw what they did to the American car companies executives, so this will be really uh, how's, interesting. Uh, how's Akio going to get to Washington? <laughs> I mean, does he have to take a rowboat and then drive from L.A. to, to, to Washington? Not a corporate jet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, is there going to be a difference to way, the way they're treated? Because, you know, like I pointed out, and David, you've pointed out, and we have even, haven't even scratched the surface of how deep the tentacles of Toyota's money goes into Washington. You know, like, it's not like avert stuff. It can be like a favorite charity three states away or a foundation or at the university of the senator who has a, a oh, chair there. That's one of those. Yeah. And, and a million dollars to the Blanchard Rockefeller School of Neuroscience at WVU and, and uh, Fritz Mondale. I think they donated a million dollars to the uh, Mondale School of Law at University of Minnesota. Yeah. So that's how they do it. And it'll be interesting to see if there's a perceived difference. If they if there's a perception that oh they eased up on Toyota, it's not going to go well because I think there's going to be some factions in the stick and ball media that are going to say, uh, uh-uh, what what's going on here? You know, I call the mainstream media stick and ball media, but that's okay. <laughs> well, yeah, it'll be interesting if I, I I'm not sure how which way it'll go. I could see certain. Uh, People in Congress, in the House especially, really wanted to make a name for themselves. On the other hand, I would think Akio Toyota could say, look, I'm sorry, you know, I understand a lot of what you're saying, but my English isn't really good enough to express myself. You know, if, he's, if, if that's his fallback plan, he shouldn't even bother coming here. Well, you raise a good issue. He shouldn't. If he's, I mean, if he's going to go up there... If they had called me, I would have said well, no. Don't go. It should be a naba. Do not yeah, go. And he, don't waffle. Mm-hmm. Don't say, well, I might well, he's go. Not, uh, yeah, yeah, he's well, waffling on this yeah. thing. It's been, you know, but if he goes there and, you know, my English isn't good enough or something, he might be sincere. He may not understand that question. But it could be <laughs> there at least there is somebody's going to say, I, sir, with all due respect, I think you're hiding behind your interpreter or something it's like gonna that. It's going to be a great Saturday Night Live thing. <laughs> oh. Because, you know, they'll do the interpreter, and then you'll hear him go, what? who is this? Well, didn't Ono, the, Fire, the Bridgestone Firestone executive, he got, he got savaged when he came here during that, didn't he? You know, I don't remember that. I, I, Pretty sure I he did. I just don't remember. Worked for Sammy Sosa. <laughs> <laughs> that was unbelievable. I mean, that's just unbelievable. Here's this guy who's done interviews his whole career, and then all of a sudden he goes to Washington. And... No speak English. Yeah. <laughs> Sammy's not a bright guy. No. I mean, I, I've seen Sammy's interviews in the past, and he comes across as a complete idiot. Okay. Like Mark, Mark McGuire goes to Washington and just to get up there and say, "I don't really want to talk about that." Yeah, that's right. We, it, this is a steroid it, hearing. I, it never I happened. Don't want to talk about that. I, I don't recall any of it. I, <laughs> <laughs> so, Peter, in your uh, your column this week, you. I really tried hard not to write about Toyota for the third week in a yeah. row. But I, no one ever wrote and said, way to go. I'm glad you avoided it, but that's okay. Yeah, but you, you started talking about BMW. Yeah, I think the, the, this Joy campaign. So they've dropped, at least temporarily, temporarily, one of the greatest taglines in automotive advertising of all time, the ultimate driving. And this campaign. is a pet peeve of mine because example number one is Mercedes-Benz. They dropped engineered like no other car in the world. And it was more than an ad theme to them because they actually sort of, you know, upheld it for a long time. And then they decided to get more approachable. 
and they just lost it. And they've been trying to get it back ever since, you know. And here's BMW with one of the classic ad themes, automotive ad themes of all time. And then we hear they're going to do a cessation of it for we don't know how long. And then they come up with this joy, which, as I pointed out, could be Hyundai, Honda, Chevrolet, you name it. There was, it's just like anyone could cut those scenes together, put some music, really good point. put some music behind it, hire Patrick Stewart to do the voiceover. And there they are. And here's BMW. And I, I really believe, like I said in my column, there's two factions in BMW. They're the true believers who still do the great three series. And then they're the ones, the jaded cynics who think, hey, we can put that blue and white propeller emblem on anything and we can make money and it doesn't matter. And those guys are the ones that are coming up with the 5GT that weighs 5,000 pounds and the X6s. It's a good-looking car, though. I know. It's, it's David's favorite car. It's David's <laughs> yeah, car of the year. <clears throat> it's David's. That's over. <laughs> to get a wee bit. I, I don't get any of those cars, really. To me, they're, they're big. They're ponderous. They are BMWs, and they're pretty well done from that standpoint. But but they've gotten so far away. I mean, and then they do the one series, and everyone, all the true BMW people, were so hoping for the the spiritual descendant of the 2002, mm-hmm. and it isn't. Why not? I like the one series. I guess it's pretty damn. Well, good I like part. the one series too. Now, when they come over with the direct injected four cylinder turbo one series, that might be in the spirit of the 2002. Yeah, it's hard to revive the spirit of the 2002 because it was a light car. And BMW, in fact, none of the luxury makers make light cars anymore. They're all heavy. Yeah, that was the other point. I've I've harped on this before, but the Germans have moved this weight class thing to all of a sudden 4,000s. 4,000 is light. Yeah, all of a, th- all of a sudden, well, 4,000 is acceptable. That's a big question for them. How are they going to meet cafe in this market with these heavy cars? I mean, Well, they're going to gonna have to take the weight out of them. They're going to have to. What's going to come out? Uh, well, it's, they're going to use unobtainium. Yeah, they're going to get more expensive. They're going to have to put lightweight materials in, which means more expensive. Right. I mean, this, this, this weight creep. Well, the big thing is what they're going to do, we're going to see a lot more four-cylinder engines. Uh, twin turbo. I mean, that, that's going to be their Well, the new 7 Series, you can get the, the 6 is back in the new 7 Series as the base car. Uh-huh. You know, back way back right. when, when the 7 Series wasn't 45,000 pounds, they had a 6 in it, you know, and it did fine. Uh-huh. But, boy, the, the Germans have just gone off this, the deep end on this weight thing. It's just unbelievable. Well, I think everybody has. You know, I was real impressed with uh, the new Sonata. It's like 31, 3,200 pounds. It's like three, 400 pounds lighter than a Malibu. Well, I knew. I knew. pounds heavier than a Mini. Yeah, but it's a much bigger car know, than a Mini. I'm, I'm I, just saying, you know, versus its competition, I, it's. it's I'll pretty- tell you when the cosmic, ship, cosmic shift happened. It was when the 911 got to the point where it weighed more than the Corvette. That's when I knew that there was this cosmic shift in the auto universe and something was horribly wrong. Because for years, you know, all the Porsche guys, oh, well, Corvette, plastic pig, too heavy. All of a sudden, 911 weighs more than the standard Corvette. It's just like, oh, what's going on here? You know, the whole world is turned upside down. Crazy. It is crazy. I think, you know, weight's going to be... A huge opportunity, especially for suppliers. I think automakers are going to start paying nice money to anybody who can come in and take a pound of mass or a kilo of mass out of a system is going to get rewarded. One of the guests we have had here, Sandy Monroe, is good at that. His company knows how to take weight out of cars. But going back to the original point about BMW, even temporarily suspending the ultimate driving machine. I, I think that is the ultimate ad campaign for a car company. I think it's the best one ever. I mean, we could debate that, but it's it's great ad line. It's nuts what they're doing. How, how can you possibly rationalize walking Whose away? Whose decision was this? Well, like I say, there's two factions, and then they do this spot, and I, I tell you what, you can recut that spot with a Malibu in it or a bunch of Chevrolets, and it's like the the sequel to the heartbeat of America's. I mean, it's just like happy, happy, joy, joy, whatever, you know. And it's just a train wreck. It's just, but you know, I, you could get those clowns from the Saturn commercials. Yeah, 
Remember the clowns that were chasing cars down the street? I still, I, I still want an explanation. I mean, if anyone in the audience knows, I, I still want an explanation of what the hell they were trying to say with that ad. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just, it was appalling to me. Well, how long do you keep a, a tagline? I mean, you know, should Chevrolet have kept like a rock? Just well, as an example. For I, truck? Well, there, the, uh, the backstory on that is there was a faction in Chevrolet that believed we should have one theme for Chevrolet, not a truck theme and not a car theme. You know, face it, Chevrolet hasn't had a cohesive theme since Heartbeat of America. That was 1986. That was a good theme, too. It was brilliantly executed Everything about it was great. It was right for the time, right for the brand, everything about it. Chevrolet has had three great campaigns in its history. See the USA in your Chevrolet, baseball hot dogs, apple pie and Chevrolet, and the heartbeat of America. They have not had one since. Uh, like a Rock was close. But it was only truck. Only truck. Right. So, um, by the way, the, the See the USA in your Chevrolet campaign, uh, there's a great story about this. Down in, in Texas, you know, they have the Soao. Mexico plant where they used to make some, I think they still do make some burgers yeah, there. Yeah. And um, they were finding, um, shall we say, human waste in the suburbans that were coming up. And some of the employees in the plant were, you know, after they saved enough cash, smuggling themselves north of the border in a suburban. <laughs> and one local <laughs> wag in the Dallas press joked that it was a new way to see the USA. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think it's the the avalanche that's made at. Uh, Is the avalanche there? Yeah, I think uh, the suburbans are still made in Texas at Arlington. Well, to get back to your point, you know, how long do you keep a theme? If the theme is vibrant and works, you know, forever. There, yeah, there's no t- time limit on it. Uh, you know, now for instance, look at Coca-Cola. You know, they they've managed to change their themes over the year. You know, it's still kind of the real thing. They just re package it and i think their latest stuff uh open happiness or whatever it is is is, you know it's great for them but you know mercedes had it had it and they they just said okay well we're gonna walk away from that because we need to go on other segments and lower our standards and go down market and engineer like no other car in the world is not gonna work so we're gonna walk away from it and they i swear they've been ever since they've been trying to get back to it they just won't admit that they blew it. And here's BMW. It was just, just a disaster, really. And Mercedes, by the way, just our Daimler, just reported big losses this morning. You know, yeah. Just, their stock was down 5% by 7%. noon. 7%. But I mean, the, I'm just saying by yeah, noon. By noon, right. But they said that it, they expect big results. This. They expect positive EBIT results, earnings before income taxes, uh, right? I love this. I, love I, I know. This. I love how, you know, well, let's not talk about net profit. Let's talk about EBIT profit. And, and Dieter uh, got a new contract. And Dieter got a... Start. And Wolfgang. And Wolfgang. I mean, depreciation and amortization at car companies is usually quite a bit. I love these, you know, Cerberus, I think, started the whole damn thing. You know, yeah, we made money if you don't look at... This yeah. other stuff that costs us a lot of money. It's it's like when the publicly traded car dealers like uh, uh, Sonic and 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 Lithium and some of the others when they were in massive acquisition mode, and they would have acquired through the spree a bunch of dealerships that weren't any good, and then they would mark them for sale, and they would disclose that those dealerships were losing money. But if you read the press release on their earnings, it would have you know here's our earnings. You know, and they would make a bunch of money, and then below that it would say, oh, and here's a bunch of losses from from uh, non-continuing operations. You know, basically, the dealerships. So it's like, it's like, yeah, we made really good profits, unless you count this real crap that we bought a year and a half ago that that is losing a ton of money and nobody wants to buy, and it's going to be on our books for the next year and a half. Hey, just tell us what you made. Well, you know, it's amazing how they play all these financial games. So, like, uh, if you go back a few years ago, they reported earnings on a quote-unquote pro forma basis. And pro forma, to your point, if you pretend none of this happened, this is what our results were. It's like that, it's like that scene in The Jerk when he's working at the carnival, you know, and, you, and you win the prize, and you can have everything above the stereo and below the TV and to the right of the character, and all of this is a bunch of junk that you could actually pick from. That's what this is. Right. And then the FTC got, not the FTC, FSEC got in and said, no, 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 we don't like this pro forma thing. So now they call it adjusted earnings. 
and it, it's yeah, all I just mean, a game. Yeah, it's all a game. I can't just get up and say, well, we sucked. We didn't make any money. <laughs> <laughs> what can we tell you, you know? Hey, but what do you make of uh, Wolfgang Bernhard coming in, not just for Vans, as was originally no, reported, but he's, he's got that plus he's got procurement and manufacturing for, for all Mercedes cars. He's, he's Dieter's heir apparent. There's no question about it. He is the guy. Um, you know, and he's just turning 50. He's 49. He's Should gonna, he be? I mean, I know you're a fan, but I talked to people at Chrysler, and he was one of the big cost cutters when Daimler owned the thing. Well, you know. He owned some of these bad cars that are in the lineup he, now. He was the big cost cutter, but I would also say that was in the legacy cost days, yeah. when I think all these guys were painted into a corner. And the, the only way that you could try to even not lose money on cars was to cut costs like crazy. I think, you know, Wolfgang, is that's just his, his destiny to, to run that Mercedes eventually. I mean, you get to know the guy, and he's, he's got three, three-pointed star, you know, in the label of his underwear, I'm sure. You know, so. But what about, you know, when, when he was, he and Dieter were running Chrysler, I mean. Well, they were the ones that. that they approved these Trevor Creed designs that are on the street right now. Well, yeah, but they also, they were the ones, because I was doing a little consultant gig then, I remember they were the ones where they got there and they finally realized that Jurgen Shrimp basically paid $36 billion for a train wreck. And they were the ones that had to go back to the board meeting in Germany and say, um, We's in big trouble here, boys, you know. And so, yeah, they made some moves. But I know uh, Wolfgang, engineering-wise, technically, he's just, he's uh, one of the... He knows his stuff. Yeah, he's he, one he, of the guys. He really does. In fact, I, I, I know we've got a, a question in rapid fire that comes to this. So we'll, I think we'll come back to this uh, okay. later on in the show. But at this point in the show, we've got to bring on our, our guest that we've got here today, Bob Larravee from uh, Autorama. Not from Autorama, Owns Autorama. Bob, come on in and put a microphone on and, and join us here. So, uh, did I get that right? You're the owner of Autorama? I am the CEO of Championship Auto Show. It's the company that owns Autorama. Okay. And, and we, so, for anybody who's watching right now that has never heard or doesn't know what Autorama is, what is Autorama? Well, you guys are talking about uh, descriptors. We call it America's Greatest Hot Rod Show. And it's been held 58 years consecutively in the city of Detroit. Um, we use Cobo Center. We use 700,000 square feet, which makes it as large as any show that's in the building. 700,000 square feet mm-hmm. jam-packed with hot little, rods. Little hot rods, yep. And we'll, this year, we'll about 800 cars uh, from all across Canada and the United States. I mean, they come from everywhere. And, well, where do you uh, get them? I mean, how do you decide which cars are going to be? <laughs> well, we... Fortunately, Autorama gets a lot of recognition in television, in the, in, the, in the buff books, stuff like that. And people want to be a part of the show, and they send us apps. And we selectively go through the apps throughout the course of about a four-month period, take what we want to accept, and the, the others we, we tell them, you know, we can't get you in this year, but we hope to get you back next year. I mean, we do not have a, an issue getting enough good cars. I mean, How many quality, cars do you get for About 800. 800 cars. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, you're in more than just Detroit, though, right? Isn't this sort of like a traveling show? You, you have other shows? 18 shows in the first quarter. 18 between, shows uh, in the first quarter. 18 shows in three months. Yes. So about two every weekend. Wow. So we start, now we go from Salt Lake City to Boston, from uh, Calgary to Atlanta. So it's, it's obviously... But there's one, there's one particular award that's only awarded at Autorama. The Riddler Award. Right. Correct. Mm-hmm. And what's the background on that? The car cannot have been seen at any public event or in any magazine or anything like that prior to Autorama in a finished form. I mean, you you can't even show the chassis at another event. Uh, wow. How we, do you verify that? We have the owner sign an affidavit uh, certifying that the car has not been seen. He gets $10,000 in cash plus an engine from GM Performance Division. That prize is not given out till 30 days after the show. Because one time we had a guy who, who uh, certified the car had never been seen before, and it had been shown. And we already paid him, and he wouldn't give us money back, and we had to pay another guy. So that's, that's why we do it this way. Just suit him. Yeah, you know what you mean. It's not worth it. So all these different shows that you do, it's always different cars that are at them? 
Yeah, I was in Kansas City last weekend. We had uh, about 700 vehicles there. Um, you will probably, if you went to Kansas City and Detroit, you might see five cars that were in Kansas City and Detroit. That's extraordinary because in some of the the real high-end classic car shows, Mm -hmm. you see a lot of the same cars year after year going around, and it sounds like you're getting a whole bunch of different kinds of cars every show. Well, we are, and you know, we're not restricted to, I mean, we get get everything, 32 Fords to 57 Chevys to, I mean, the new Camaros and Mustangs and that are really, really getting popular. You're seeing a lot of kids are getting really interested in those cars, more more so than the European cars they were, or the tuners as they called them a few years ago. They're gravitating more to what we like to refer to as American muscle. I was one I was just asking you where you thought the, mm-hmm. the hot rod movement was going. That's an interesting... When I was at SEMA, say three years ago, 80% of the vehicles at the SEMA show were, were tuners. tuner cars, yeah. This year, 60 to 80% of them were Camaros, Mustangs. They were the big three hmm. muscle cars. Has sure. the tuner thing run its course? Uh, it's it's not what it was. I think it has. No, I think it has. Well, you no know, kidding. This is I, the first I've heard this. I did a cover story on Cadillac back in 2002, and at the time there was this sort of movement on like like Huntington Beach area where a lot of, you know, and this is early part of the decade, early 20 somethings were buying old Cadillacs and Lincolns for like two or three thousand bucks, painting them wild colors and fixing them. In fact, on one two page spread, we had this like 23 year old woman who'd bought like a. It's like a 67 Eldorado, and she painted it that kind of copper orange that Ford had for the Explorer back then. And we had a, she was like laying across the, the roof of the car, and it was like a two-page spread with this big caddy. And there was quite a bit of that. You know, Kid Rock back then was wearing the big Cadillac crest, and, mm-hmm. and, and it was American luxury. It wasn't necessarily muscle, but there was a movement of, Amer- you know, 60s American luxury cars that the kids were into. There still is. We're still building those things. There's also the... <laughs> They're cool. What is kind of cool is the rat rod, the whole rat rod movement. I like that, too. We've got downstairs. See, Autorama started in Kobo in 61. Before that, we were at the fairgrounds. But when it started at Kobo, it was downstairs, because that's really all there was back back then. So downstairs now, we have what we call the traditional rod show. And it's all, the like you're saying, primered. Yeah. They're not... You know, they were initially called rat rods, but a lot of people took offense to that terminology because a rat rod is a car with no no front brakes, with no seat belts, no you know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. a safe vehicle. And these cars <laughs> are safe. I mean, they. You can my whole understanding of the rat rod thing is you want this crappy looking vehicle that is absolutely blistering fast. That's and you want it to look ratty <laughs> so that nobody knows Looks what you're ready, really got. But well built, but very well. Built. There's a bunch of them out on Woodward. In, in the summer and, and then especially during the dream cruise and if you look at them mechanically they're all really cool yep. you know they just make them look ratty <laughs> yep. yeah no deliberately ratty. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah it's intentional and and the crowd that uh what the, what bringing those cars does to autorama is it, it brings in a different segment because the guys who associate with those cars don't relate to the Four hundred thousand dollar thirty two Fords upstairs. They don't mm-hmm. like those cars, so it, it just broadens the base of the show to encompass more car enthusiasts, and you know, so like to come see, enjoy the show. So, what are the major awards besides the Riddlers? There one at the Oak. What is it? The Oakland Rod Show is that? Well, the Oakland Show moved to L.A. Right. a few years ago, and that's called the America's Most Beautiful Roadster. Right. Yeah, and that's. Probably the other big award in indoor hot rod show. But the Riddlers, I know, the Riddlers, one of them, yep. is the most sought after. How's the whole market for hot rods going these days? Uh, we're seeing um, probably this year a record number of entries from participants. It That's seems amazing. Like, I know. I'm, we're thankful. Uh, people are not hesitating to put their cars in our shows and participate, and that's really, really encouraging. Our vendor base, which is the um, people who buy exhibit space, and that's not a big part of the event, but that's probably dropped off about half in the last two years. About half the people we dealt with before are either out of business or they don't spend any money. But we found enough new people to basically replace them. <laughs> so I think we're doing fairly well in, you know, in the current economy. How about uh, sales and prices of those cars? You know, what, what I've often wondered about is, you know, boomers like us, mm-hmm. 
looking at muscle cars of the 50s and 60s, is the next generation going to be into those cars? Is there still going to be a market for them, or should it be boomers beware, don't sink all kinds of money into these cars because you'll never get it out again? You know, 15 years ago, Model A's were worth a lot of money. And before that, the cars built in teens and stuff like that. I mean, there, there were a lot of clubs, there were a lot of people participating in events. There's no interest in those cars anymore. Really? The, I mean, the cars from the teens and the 20s? Yes. Is that right? I love and those cars. I, so you're saying it's a good time for me to try to buy one? Try to buy one, yeah. you probably find a good deal. Uh, the 30s cars, the 32 Fords, 34 Fords, 40 Fords, extremely popular. Even the ugly 37 Fords and 36 are popular because... Which one was the PT Cruiser based on? Was it 34? Uh, I think it was a 34. I believe it was 34. But the, the ones that are really holding their value good, and even they're down a little bit now because of the economy, but are the, say, the 57s through the uh, 70s muscle cars. I mean, the Camaros and Mustangs, that are really, they're holding up well. That's, that's interesting because, you know, I, I look at, like, the Barrett-Jackson auction, and I look at some of the money that these cars are going for, and I just think, well, that's, man, that's, will you get your money out of this well, car in another decade? Barrett-Jackson's notoriously over. Overpriced. Overinflated. Uh-huh. But, Bob, do you think, I mean, when, when, the, when the new GTO, which really wasn't a very good-looking car but a great performance car, when it came out, my understanding is that at the auctions, the vintage GTO prices went through the roof. They went high. I, I wish but it I didn't had, last. None of the prices have lasted. I mean... So these Camaro and Mustang prices you're seeing, I mean, now these are cars, I mean, the GTO, the new GTO went away after a couple of years. Mm-hmm. These cars, Camaro and Mustang or Challenger are going to be around for a while. So, I mean, do you see those prices lasting? I think they would. I mean, they, about a year or two ago, if you, if you watch Barrett-Jackson or Cruz or any of the auction houses, that stuff was going for incredible money. They've come down a little bit now. And... If, if I think if you're getting to those cars now at, at today's prices, it will prove to be a, you know, reasonably good investment. The thing with a car, though, you put it in the garage, the paint cracks, the battery goes bad, the tires, you know, they require constant maintenance. It's not like, you know, I know you can make money on these, but when I, I've had readers occasionally. I did a story on these cars as an investment a while back, too, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's... It's not what most people think. I mean, you, you, like you're saying, you don't just buy the thing, throw it in the garage, drive it every once in a while, and then no. sell it in 10 years and make, you know, 30% or whatever. No, you don't. No, you don't. But based on what the stock market's done in the last two years, I don't know if it'd be a bad investment. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so true. So what's hot right now? I mean, what do you think is going to be uh, a classic hot rod? Or uh, is there anything new out today that has even got the makings of being one, other than, say, like the Camaro and Mustang and Challenger? I, you know, like you said, the, the Mustangs, they're making so many body styles and so many, I mean, with the Shelbys. I mean, you can get 500 horsepower, some awesome, awesome Mustang options out there and stuff. The Camaros, I mean, you can, there's a company out of Phoenix that is going to be in our show. Um, they sell a, a 500 horsepower Camaro for 150 grand. Now, where those cars are going to be in 10 or 20 years as far as collectibles and stuff, I, I don't know, but I think they'll be pretty popular. I think they'll be pretty hot. Anything that you're doing special at this year's show? Yeah, one thing I'd like to mention is um, what we call Student Career Day. And on Friday morning, we invite um, vocational and high school students from the state of Michigan to come to Autorama. And we get them from as far away as New York, Pennsylvania, northern Michigan. Uh, we bring them into a conference room. We have guest speakers who include Chip Foose, Dave McClellan, the voice of NHRA, uh, Troy Trepanier, a builder from Chicago. Uh, we have people speak to them for about an hour and a half about the need to get an education, that there are career opportunities in the automotive aftermarket, and stick with it. And then uh, we turn them on the show floor, and they get a wristband. It's good all weekend, so they come back on Saturday with their dad or brother or whatever. That, that's really a neat, cool program. This year, we're, I think we'll end up with about 3,000 students there. 3,000? Yeah, it's really, in five years, it's gone from the first year we had 600, and now we're hoping to get to 3,000, but it's really, really a neat deal. Where are these kids from? Like I said, mostly uh, all over. Tri-County. But we get a, Tri-County of Detroit. Yeah, but we get, like last year, we had a bus from Kalamazoo. We had one from uh, the Upper Peninsula. We had one from New York State, one from Pennsylvania. So they're from all over this area. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You're growing a whole new generation there. Well, you know what? If, and one instructor told me, he said, if you touch 3% of the kids that came to this room, 
you got to figure that's a pretty darn good percentage. But he said, three percent, three percent of three thousand is a pretty good, you know. So it, it encourages us to keep going with this thing. Mm-hmm. So you have eight hundred cars at this thing. How, how do you decide whose cars get in? I mean, do you, do you have how many? How many? You have a committee, but how many? How many do you end up picking from? I mean, how many people say I want to put my car in Autorama? You know, for the fiftieth, which was eight years ago, we had tons of interest. We probably turned down five hundred cars. Uh, in, in a normal year like this year, we're going to probably turn down a couple hundred cars. So it, you take most of what is most of what enters, but uh, you, you could, don't have room to take everything that enters. There's simply not. Are they all American brands? You know, the car that won the Riddler two years ago was an American Motors station wagon with a Ferrari engine. It's yeah, called cool. Rambo. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> seeing that. <laughs> but uh, you know, ninety. We get a few Volkswagens, a few Scions, uh, most everything, most of the stuff oh, so you entered. Get the newer stuff in there, yeah. too. Okay, yeah. but most of it's American-made cars. We haven't seen a Toyota Hot Rod Club yet. Like a Kaiser Hot Rod <laughs> or something like that. You probably do have some. That would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'd love to see a uh, a Tucker. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen like three or four of them in my lifetime, and I'd like to see one. I, nobody would soup them up and make no. a hot rod out of them because they're just too they're worth too much. No, money. they're worth too much. Yeah, it, but it would be really cool hard. to see to see what somebody could do creatively with the car because there's a lot going on with that design. That was a cool car. Yep, it was way ahead of its time. But you get some real artisans too. I mean, some of the the body work that these people do is oh, nothing the, short of extraordinary. The paint and the mechanical stuff. Yeah. I had a picture of a, a really cool pink hot rod up here before that was just you know, really oh, dynamite. What he's showing now are the previous Riddler winners from years previous and that. So that award started. These cars were home built. They were usually Michigan cars. Um, in the last fifteen years, I don't know the guy from Michigan has won the car, won the award. I mean, it's California, Texas. The uh, guy that won last year was from Al- New York State. The builder was from Alabama. Uh, the guy the year before, the the owner was from uh, Seattle, Washington. Uh, Chip Foose built three of them in the last ten years. I mean, it's it's become a an international award as far as the competition. That's great. So yeah, it's it's wonderful for us. I mean, we're getting a lot of interest in the award and a lot of interest in part of people participating. Chip does a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, he does. Mm-hmm. Yes, he does. Another artisan, really. Mm-hmm. They are. I mean, some of these cars, like the car that um, Troy Trapani finished two years ago, I mean, it, that car was almost built. They they took a body off a 36 Ford or 35 Ford, I think, but that's the only thing they used. Everything else in the car, the whole suspension was hand-built. They, I mean, they, the wheels were handmade. So <laughs> it was an that's incredible amazing. car. That's amazing. So what's in your garage? Do you, do you have a few of these? I have a 37 Ford, 39 Ford, and a 55 Chevy and a Corvette. That's more than enough to take care of. What year, what year Corvette? 02, C5. Yep. So the 37 I'm probably going to put back to what we've been talking as traditional car because it's only got 30,000 original miles on it. I was the second owner. Wow. It's got the original interior from 1937. I mean, it's, it'd be a shame to customize and paint it and trash the chassis out and stuff, so I'll probably keep it stuck. Yeah, g- talk a little bit about that, and then we're going to have to get to rapid fire, but mm-hmm. doesn't it just sort of pain your heart sometimes to rip a car apart and change it all? A perfectly good car, <laughs> not a rusted out something that you're... But uh, it's got to... To me, it'd be gut-wrenching just to rip a car. You know, I personally have never done that. The 37 is the only original car I've ever owned. The 39 I bought as a hot rod and rebuilt it as a hot rod. The 55 I bought as a hot rod, I've done some work to it, but it's pretty much the way I bought the car. But I'd have a hard time doing that if I had a car like you're saying, (laughs) a a pristine 32 Ford, even... You know, like my my 37, I talked to a hot rod shop builder about hot-rodding the car. And I said, what would it cost to hot rod that car? And this is, a, this is a nationally known builder. And he said, about 150 grand. Wow. And then the car's worth 80 grand when it's done. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, you know what? I'll keep it stock. I'll put a few bucks in it, make it drivable, because I, I just want to drive it around town and stuff. And I'll be happy with that. Yeah, that's what I've always heard is the guy who builds the car never makes any money on it. You, oh, you want to buy it built. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to build it. Yeah. It's like a restoration or anything like that, same mm-hmm. thing. Right. So... Well, real good. Hey, stick around. Well, We'd love to have you for our rapid-fire segment because we're going to get into that right I now. I got some breaking news here. Oh, let's hear it. Everyone's familiar with the Monterey, the... Uh, historic races? Historic races. 
The feature this year is Dan Gurney, the cars he built, the cars he drove. It's yeah. 55th anniversary since Dan's first race. Okay. I don't know about the people out there, but Dan is one of my all-time heroes, one of the greatest this country's ever produced. One of the greatest race drivers this country's ever produced and race car builder. Yeah, technical mind. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Dan a couple years ago at the New York show, and he was very interested in my book, but real interested in Herf. And just the hybrid electric race. Yeah, just idea. talking to him was such a treat. I mean, or hydrogen, I said. Yeah, hydrogen. I mean, he was he, the guy is unbelievable. He's terrific. He's and really good. So that's really good to know. That's that'll be huge out there. That'll be great. I thought you were going to announce another Toyota recall. <laughs> <laughs> Careful, Gurney did work for Toyota there for a while. Yeah, built a they, couple of race cars. And then for them they pulled too. the plug on him. Yeah. Well, let's go to rapid fire. Ben, bring up the graphic. Okay, we all get a minute to answer these questions. So, Bob, you can jump in any time. But uh, here we got a question from Michael Baker who says, why can't there be a, a coupe version, U.S. coupe version of the Ford Fiesta, the, uh, the Focus, the Fusion, the Taurus, the Chevy Impala, Malibu, Cruise, Spark? He, he just wants to know, why can't we get two-door vehicles here? Uh, I'll answer. Well, they don't sell. Yeah, limited. They just don't sell. They don't sell in big enough numbers. Yeah, unless they're performance cars with a select market like a Camaro Mustang. I mean, there just isn't a market for well, CTS Coupe. And, and the CTS Coupe's going to do very well, but you're talking about specific. Uh, well, uh, the, you know, the CTS Coupe, look, let's face it, it's a Cadillac because it's expensive. They can charge the premium to justify doing the tooling. You try to do that with, uh, you know, a focus and and do the tooling here in the United States and sell enough volume for it ain't easy to do. Yeah, and by the way, a lot of the two-doors, two-door versions of cars that were done in past years, they weren't all that interesting to look at. It was extra mm-hmm. expense for the companies and really inconvenience for the for the, the owner to have to pull the seat forward and all this stuff. And they just didn't look that much better. I mean, the, the CTS Coupe is a strikingly good-looking car. It could open up the market maybe for some performance luxury cars a bit. Real good. Uh, Drew Carter says, I listened to your interview with Don Runkle uh, on Outline After Hours. Heard anything new from them? Good question, David. I saw John Coletti yesterday. John is uh, working with Don Runkle. John used to run all the engineering operations for Ford SVT. Uh, I asked him that very question, any update? And he says, yeah, but I can't tell you yet. So as soon as we hear it, we'll let you guys know. David Lowry writes in to say, why is it the GM has a recall for a steering problem with the Chevy Cobalt, but we hardly hear anything about it? Well, now that's a, now that's a, that's a reverse of, because <laughs> <laughs> in the old days, you know, if someone recalled like a a spring on something on, on an American car, it was front page news. And then if Toyota had an oiling problem that involved four million cars, it got lost in the shuffle. Now we're we're witnessing a reverse of this. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the the Chevy Cobalt steering problem has made the news, but Toyota has totally overshadowed it of late. Oak Cabin 44 says, uh, with our politicians and the whole world telling us that we will be driving happy, smiley electric cars in the future, uh, I'll paraphrase here, he says, uh, what happens to all the, the gas tax money that uh, repairs our roads and bridges? If we're all driving EVs, there's no gas tax. What? That's a huge issue. I mean, they've already said the state of Michigan that uh, 2010 is the last year for major improvements because we're out of money for 2011. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it is. Well, we're with EVs, all- I mean, long term. First off, that's a long, long way away. They'll find some way to tax energy, but the near-term yeah. problem with state budget deficits to repair roads. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what the big talk they're, about they're is. Cutting, they're cutting money for salt right now. I mean, we get, we get snow, and they, they, they're salting less. You can tell. Right. Well, the, the big thing that they're all talking about, all the transportation people who have been aware of this issue for years, uh, they want to tax miles driven, mm-hmm. not gasoline's pumped i'd go buy i'd go buy a couple dealerships of used 
H3s, new unsold H3s, because the way the roads are going, you'll need an H3 just to, <laughs> get down the road. Just to go down to the 7-Eleven. Right. Uh, Pedro Fernandez. Hey, all right, Pedro. He says, I've been listening to you and your guests declare that all is well with reliability in the new Detroit, yet Consumer Reports just did a report on luxury cars and would not recommend a CTS, despite coming first in their evaluation due to questions regarding its reliability. So what gives? It's a real issue for that car, and it's really, really disappointing because it's it's a great car, and I think that's one of the things that does hold hold its sales back a bit. I mean, it, mm-hmm. You know, this, this car's been out for, you know, a couple of years now, right? A year and a half? Two years. Two years. Sorry, guys, you know, you got to get that right. Uh, I had a seat at my CTS. I didn't have anything go wrong with it, so whatever. Oh, it's got one. We love it. But it's, yeah. you, they, it's, it's the best luxury car any American company makes right now. It's got to be on that list. Whatever it takes, they got to get that done. Well, you know, then, too, there, there's different ways of measuring quality. And, you know, Consumer Reports is looking for things gone wrong, and it assiduously tracks that. And Volkswagen has always scored extremely bad in, in it. Just, I'm not picking on Volkswagen, just as an example. Another way of measuring quality is things gone right. And the CTS pegs the needle in things gone right. So do Volkswagens, by the way. And that's why they sell happily, even though they may not ever come out well in the, any of the quality ratings. Okay, uh, Ron Nordke from Huntington Beach, California, says, It always baffles me how a Mercedes escapes so much of the blame for, oh, here's, here's the question I was saying, for destroying the culture, the management structure, and the product at Chrysler. It wasn't the stupid Americans. It was the greedy Germans, and no one calls them out. Anybody um, on that? I agree with him by and large. I mean, I'm not going to use his words for it, but I, I think the Germans did... Like Peter said earlier, they realized they bought a lemon and it wasn't going to be the cash cow that, that it was in the 90s. And they started cutting and gutting and, you know, they they thrashed their own dealers. They skinned the product line and, you know, basically milked as much money as they could out of this out of the company and, and, until they finally got rid of it. Yeah, and basically Jürgen Schrempf was still in charge and they, you know, basically they were told, you know, we're, we need to save face here. You guys have to find some money somewhere. And, uh, you know, it was bad. Yeah. Bob, we've got a question from for you from Jim Haynes. Uh, what's been the most popular show cars you've had on the show circuit over the years? And can a pro car, can it be a pro car or just a local person's car? Either one. I mean, the, the um, popular cars, I mean, at the... If he's saying what kind what kind of cars are the most popular kinds kinds of vehicles shown in our show, I'd say honestly the thirty two Fords, fifty seven Chevys, sixty five to sixty eight Mustangs, the same era Camaros through seventy two probably. Um, Not GTOs. I can't forget GTOs. I used to have one of those. I, too. I haven't heard you say any Mopar products either. You know, in Detroit, it's incredible. It's like everybody opens their garage in the the wintertime and takes their Mopar out of Rambo. People come to the show and say, I never knew there were so many Mopars. You go to Atlanta, it's Chevy country. Interesting. There's a lot of Mopars in the Detroit market. Okay, Mitch Weaver wants to know, why are so many specialty cars painted red? Is it really resale red? Red's the most popular color. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like Ferraris (laughs) and Cobras. and (laughs) I I, I don't know. I don't have a red car personally, but... uh, yeah, it's the most popular. Same thing about advertising. They'll tell you the red's the first color you got to use on a billboard or something like that. Yeah, Is that true, Mr. Advertising Expert, Peter? It's certainly true for car magazines. Yeah. That's, like a, that's like a 101 car right. magazines. You've got to have a red car on the cover. but uh, mm-hmm. should be pink. Yeah. Okay, uh, we got a phone call, too, from, uh, let's bring that in, uh, Ben, from Jim Campbell. Is this Chevy General Manager, Jim Campbell? We'll know soon enough. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, we'll, we'll go to another question until we can get that one uh, in here then. Um, oh, another question from Pedro. If you were running Chevrolet, would you go upmarket with the Impala, leave it the way it is, or get rid of it? I wouldn't get rid of it. I'd do a proper Impala, which to me is a sensational-looking car with rear-wheel drive, 
great overall performance and value for the money. Reinvent the, the equation from 1955 and just do it right. Quit screwing around with this committee uh, design and, and do a proper car, which I understand is in the works. They're going back to rear drive with it? I think so. Yeah, I, I think. I might go front drive based and offer all wheel drive, but make it a really striking looking car in the way that Audi can get good design reports. John Cafaro basically was quoted. He's, they're going for it. They're going to do a drop dead gorgeous Impala. See, I, I think that's really important. Chevrolet needs a full size car, and it's got to be priced at an extremely uh, incredible value point. And it's got to look great. It's right. got to be a memorable car, and they haven't had one in a while. So. Right. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, We've got that phone call now. Oh, yeah, let's bring in the phone call. Hi, it's Jim Campbell calling. Uh, and no, it's not the Jim Campbell from Chevrolet, but Jim Campbell from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. <laughs> oh. Um, Comment is the fact that uh, I did attend the Bear Jackson, and uh, the Monday after the last Bear Jackson here in January, the uh, classic car appraisals dropped by 30% in our market uh, across the board. Uh, and I guess going back to the uh, what an old farmer told me one time: if it's got tits or tires, it's going to cost you. <laughs> Thank you. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Are we are we regulated by the SEC? No, we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> but yeah, he, I, talking about car collecting right. prices going down thirty percent. Wow! I, I would never buy a car at a Barrett Jackson. Yeah, I mean those those auctions are. It's just who can be seen and how much money can they? Yeah, I forget what the guy paid a million point two for a Chevelle a couple of years ago. I mean, yeah, for a Chevelle? Yeah. Oh, Barrett Jackson. I've I've been hammering them for years and. They're, Good prices are still out there, but you got to look for them. I mean, and don't go there if you're a serious buyer. Wow, a million two for a Chevelle. Well, then it just resold at another auction. I think the same guy, the guy that paid one point two for it, sold it for three hundred thousand. Oh, holy moly! Oh yeah, there's been a lot of big hits in the last eighteen months. Big hits. That's a big hit, right? He did. He sold one hundred and seventy cars. One time. Okay, Espo wants to know with Jack Roush or Roush testing the Eco Motors engine, will it find its way into a race car first or a production car? Uh, production car. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't realize Jack Roush or Roush Industries does a tremendous amount of automotive work that has nothing to do with racing whatsoever. They do a lot of development work and have for years. For a lot of Ford. manufacturers, not just Ford. Not just Ford, that, but that's what I was saying. Yeah. They did a lot for Ford, now they're doing a lot for other people, too. Yeah. Pretty impressive uh, facility, or uh, the range of facilities that he's got. In fact, one of them we could practically throw a baseball at and hit. It's that close to where our studio is. Okay, Ragin Put Pitbull wants to know, will Alpha really be back in the U.S. in 2012? Will it be sold next to Chrysler products or spun off to separate dealerships? I, you know, I don't know. Marchione has spoke at some event, charity event in Italy about that, but it's just like, you know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, if, look, if Chrysler returns to health, I think you could see uh, the Mito or something like that coming over here. But uh, it's a giant, we'll see. I, I, you know. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, I mean, look, it's in their product plan. To have, uh, I, oh no, actually, they didn't put it in their plan. They did not put it in no, their plan. No, they did not. Plan. That's right. Of Alpha. Right. It wasn't in the Somebody de- reported, the Wall Street Journal reported it before that it was going to be in the plan, and it wasn't. And they've talked about it kind of on the side, but they haven't officially decided. Yeah, it wasn't in the death march. It wasn't in the press conference. So. Okay, uh, Mike uh, Carilia, I hope I said that right. I'm sure I butchered it. He says, is the decrease in Mustang sales, because, you know, Ford announced they're chopping uh, a shift out of the Flat Rock plant where that's built. He says, is the decrease in Mustang sales have anything to do with the reveal of the 2011 model with the upgraded V6 and the return of the 5.0? He says, if I was in the market for a Mustang, I would definitely wait for the new model. I think uh, it has definitely has a lot to do with it. The Camaro has a lot to do with it because in that segment, the latest and greatest is always the most popular thing. But if you're a Mustang buyer and you're knowing that those two vehicles, those two new engines are coming, yeah, you're going to wait. Two buyers who will wait are, you know, muscle car, sports car buyers 
and pick up bars or wait for the new generation. So, but you also have the Camaro Synergy Green Edition. You know, that could be <laughs> taking a big bite. Yeah, I love that color. I gotta believe you. I, your audience, Bob, is really excited about these new engines coming in the Mustang too. The one that was pretty cool that there is the one that uh, Chevy unveiled at uh, SEMA in a 57 Chevy. And they're going to be putting that car on tour. It passed all the California regulatory. Wow. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Another Mustang question from Steve who says, why doesn't Ford make a four-door muscle car off the Mustang and call it the Mercury Cougar? I sure hope they don't. It would be a disaster. <laughs> it, it could well be. bring back the Mercury Capri? Well, you know, John DeLorean wanted to do that. He wanted to build the Camaro and the Corvette in the same plant and make a zillion dollars for the corporation. And the true believers rose up within General Motors, which is hard to believe now, and said, oh, no, you're not going to do that. <laughs> Okay, jumping topics here. Uh, Jim Haynes wants to know. I read where Mitsubishi says they they want to double sales in the U.S. in the next year. He says, "How? Aren't they really dead in North America as a mainstream car company?" Well, they're going to sell ten instead of five. So. <laughs> uh, you know, I forget who was running Mitsubishi North America when they told me they were going to double sales like seven years ago. It's just, it's just whatever. It's so. just a giant whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, we had another good question here, too, from, Who cares about yeah. from Z. He says, how come we've never heard about the huge Hyundai subframe control arm replacement campaign? says, a stop by a dealer to get parts, and there were a number of parts, uh, complete cradles and control arm assemblies leaning against a wall. What gives? This is a huge safety control issue. Uh, no, he's right. There is a uh, NHTSA issued a recall last year. Uh, parts of the front suspension on the Sonata and the XG from earlier in this decade can literally rust right off the car. And uh, I think... Uh, well, they're flying under the radar like Toyota used to fly under yeah, the radar. Yeah, that's right. Hyundai's got to be very careful. I mean, they're on the upward trajectory, but boy, they could have it all blow up in their faces. And that's why you're not seeing GM, Chrysler, Ford saying boo about Toyota because hey you know well, there but for the grace of God go I for all these companies that's yes. exactly Bob, are there a lot of Hyundai's at Autorama no nope <laughs> <laughs> nope you won't see any I sorry so. yeah the only car that I thought might have a chance at showing up there is uh, the Genesis Coupe because it's it's almost pony car territory almost yeah yeah actually I mean I, I'm, I'm you know I, I say that very facetiously but there's I've seen some very hot rotted up Tiburons over the years. I mean that you know, seriously. I mean I've seen some kids mm-hmm. put some real money into those things. There have been some good luck ones. Yeah, but they're they're mainly tuner type, not pony yeah, car. I know, but so. it, you know I've seen all kinds of stuff on Tiburons. It's not a bad canvas for that sort of thing. Right. Well hey, we're at the top of the hour here, so we're gonna wrap it up, but uh especially wanna thank Bob Laravi from Autorama for joining us well, tonight. And very interesting. I, when is the show? Next weekend. Right. So give us the dates. February 26th uh, to 28th, Cobo Center, downtown Detroit. So we're open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And, and you guys have a website, too, don't you? Yeah, we're at yeah, autorama.com. People tend to go to this every year. Uh, this year, 130000 Wow. It's a good show. That's, a, good show. that's really good. Mm-hmm. So autorama.com. So people can, you know, because we get folks literally from all over the world listening to this. Yeah, go to our website. It'll give you all the information you need. I mean, hotels if you need those. I mean, whatever, whatever, whatever questions you have. Cool. Should answer them. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, no, thanks again. And, and remember, uh, you can always follow us at facebook.com slash Autoline Detroit. Uh, follow us at twitter.com slash Autoline. Check out autoextremist.com. Every week you should be doing that. And uh, can look at, uh, for David's work, at businessweek.com. That's right. David? Peter, great having you guys here. It's always really good. Always fun to be here. Great having everybody tune in as well. Visit our website, autolinedetroit.tv, where you can watch us live Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern, 
Get your daily automotive news fix with AutoLine Daily and in-depth analysis and interviews with AutoLine Detroit. That's all there and much more at AutoLineDetroit.tv. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should, too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.